Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. is Butch Cassidy, and the Sundance Kid is Robert Redford. Catherine Ross is Etta Place. Dynamite's ready, Butch. Well, that ought to do it. Think you's enough dynamite there, Butch? Most of this is true, and all of it blazes with action. You've never met a pair like Butch and Sundance. Back in business, boys and girls. Outlaws with style in a class all their own. You know, when I was a kid, I always thought I was going to grow up to be a hero. Don't tell me how to rob a bank. I know how to rob a bank. And anything you ask of me, I'll do. Except one thing. I won't watch you die. You just keep thinking, that's what you're good at. <laughs> An incredible pair of rugged adventurers, creating a living legend on two continents. But it's just one guy. Don't you get sick of being right all the time? They robbed trains. Stop it. Looted banks. Manas Ariba. They got him up. Ah, oh, you're so damn smart, you read it. And one girl shared their love and larceny. Raindrops keep falling on my head. And just like the guy whose feet are too big for his bed, nothing seems to fit. Those raindrops are falling on my head. What are you doing? Stealing your woman? Take her. Boy, you're romantic, bastard. I'll give you that. Then, Mr. E.H. Harriman of the Union Pacific put the top lawmen in the West on their trail. They're very good! If he'd just pay me what he's spending to make me stop robbing him, I'd stop robbing him. They were outlaws, running out of time and out of space, and a changing world was closing in on them. From the American West to New York. To the dangerous new frontier of Bolivia. Bolivia? Well, he'll feel a lot better after he's robbed a couple of banks.
I'll jump first. And you jump first. No, I said. What's the matter with you? Well, that ought to do it. Thank you. There's enough dynamite there, Butch. All right, guys. Welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast. I'm your host, Jimbo, and today joined again by, once again, by the lovable, fluffable... Kyle Zayner, here today. A.K.A. Ghostface. Ghostface. Not uh, Ghostface. Kyle, see, you made me do oh, it. Fat yeah, face. Oh, <laughs> I was going to let you roll with it, too. I know. <laughs> but you're like, no, you fat face. <laughs> okay, Jimbo. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Kyle, you, know, you watch this. Uh, we will be talking about the movie Butch Cassidy, the Sundance Kid today, but Kyle, you know, you would be the guy that that they went to work for that rode the, the burrow <laughs> instead of a horse. That poor burrow looked like he was about to die in this movie. You know, he's carrying a really the- tough time. Yeah, I would have felt bad for him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this is episode 91. Uh, Me riding a horse to be animal cruelty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Wow. So this is... I need to go uh, on a diet, folks. Uh, let's just take this away. This is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kyle. So, yeah, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kyle. My favorite movie. It's got my name on it. <laughs> it's the Sundance Kid. Butch. Okay. <laughs> Do you have an opening question today, Chippo? We're going to have to a great start. We're going to have to a great start. <laughs> Kyle, who do you think was the greatest outlaw of all time? Which, which, which outlaw slash cowboy do you find most fascinating stories about? Ah, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, you know, it probably goes down to Jesse James for that's me. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, that's that's him probably... or Billy the Kid. I think are the two most that I. Billy Kid was kind of up there for me. I I I think because kind of taken as young as he was, and also like kind of like the youth of his story, specifically the youth of his you know upbringing there, and how he really murdered, kind of like diminishes a little bit of the stories you can have with him. But Jesse James had a much had a more substantial career, I think, as a criminal that uh, makes more rife for storytelling and exploration of his character. So I think Jesse James is probably the most interesting cowboy um, or outlaw out there, in my humble opinion. Um, but, of course, if I do, if I dove deeper into that question, I might look in more fictional characters altogether and I even choose real-life outlaws. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably... Because, like, to me, that's all... It's it's so much... It's so mythologized now that I don't remember, like, okay, was he a real outlaw or was he just in that one movie? Like... Yeah, yeah, the Sundance Kid was a real person, but that was the, that was the it wasn't the whole the movie. It's hole in the wall game. It's a different thing. The I'm Wild Bunch. You know, with Kermit the Frog. Kermit the Frog, the best movie. cowboy ever. Han Solo, best outlaw ever. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so Jimbo, you agree with me? Just James probably probably out yeah. there at the top. Yeah, just off the top of my head, I mean, there could be more and more qualified, but that's just that that springs to mind immediately. So yeah, that's me. <laughs> Okay, so um, I'll, I'll just dive into it here. We are doing let's get Butch Butch Cassidy <laughs> Butch, B- Butch, <laughs> Butch Cassidy Butch Butch Cassidy <laughs> Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, released on September twenty third of nineteen sixty nine, directed by George Roy Hill, written by William Goldman. Box office had a budget of just six million dollars, the equivalent of about forty five million dollars today, an incredibly modest budget even for the time, mind you. Actually, really impressed they filmed it for that little. Gross worldwide was $102 million on its opening weekend. And uh, that, for adjusting for inflation, is seventy-seven uh, $777 million today. So, incredible, incredible performance at the box office. Good for them. Made huge money. Did you say the box office? The box office. I got no tongue today, folks. Um, 
Lips are smacking, tongues are chattering, tongues just doing whatever it wants. That's my mouth today, folks, and you're going to have to listen to it now. It's great. Um, <laughs> let's just move and on. The sad thing is we're recording multiple episodes today, so this exactly. should be interesting. This is going to be real fun. I'm getting off to a great start, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Um, let's see here. I'm going to move on here to technical details. We have a runtime of 110 minutes. The sound mix is Westrex recording systems in a mono audio recording format. Um, color info: This both this movie has features uh, predominantly color scenes, but there's also black and white transitionary scenes like that. The aspect ratio is 2.39 by one. The camera it was filmed on was the Panavision PSR R200 on the Panavision C series lenses. The film length is 3,035 millimeters. Um, I believe that'd be. 10 reels, I believe it is. 10 reels, you that 12, maybe. Okay, it's around there. It has a lot of reels. <laughs> really professional today, I know. <laughs> and then we're going to go on to uh, uh, the Terrence Memorial section, the award. Ba -ba 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 -ba. Award section. So we're going to go on there. Uh, let's see here. Starting off, we have the National Film Preservation Award in the US of A. In 2003, it won the National Film Registry. So good for them. It's a film that will be reserved in history to time to come. Next up, we have the ASCAP Film and Television Music Awards. It won the 1988 award for Most Performed Feature Film Standards. And awarded to Hal David and Birch, um, Birchach. Next up, we have the 1972 Turkish Film Critics Association Awards, where it was nominated for Best Foreign Film. Came in 8th place there. Then we have a ton of BAFTA awards, where it won Best Actor for Robert Redford, Best Actress for Catherine Ross, Best um, nominated for Best Actor for Paul Newman, and then it won the Anthony Asquiss Award for Film Music, related to Bert Pockerch. I can't I can't read the composer's name correctly. Um, it also won Best Direction by George for George Roy Hill, um, Best Overall Film, Best Finish, Best Cinematography, rewarded to Conrad L. Hall, Best Screenplay, rewarded to William Goldman. Best Film Editing rewarded to Richard C. Meyer and John C. Howard. And Best Soundtrack awarded to Don Hall, David Dockendorf, and Bill Edmondson. Next up, we have the Academy Awards for USA. In 1970, it won the award for Best Writing, Story, and Screenplay based on material not previously published or produced, awarded to William Goldman. And then it won Oscar the Oscar for Best Cinematography, awarded to Conrad L. Hall. Then we also have Best Music and Best Original Song for the song Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head, um, performed by uh, Bert, uh, <laughs> I can't remember the original composer's name, and lyrics were by, written by Hal David, and also won Best Music for the same composer. Next up, we have the Golden Globes in 1970. We it was It won the Best Original Score Award. Grammy Awards it won also Best Original Score. And finally, for the Writers Guild of America, it won the WGA Awards for Screen for Best Drama Written Directly for the Screen for William Goldman. And that is the awards. Uh, by the way, the um, BAFTA Awards that you wrote, uh, read, mm -hmm. this still holds the record for the most awards won by a single film uh, with nine. Nine. That so, is incredible. Uh, yeah. For the BAFTA. So. Yeah, it really just, just, just took the whole... Enchilada home with them. I don't even know. Even know. Oh, also, I uh, written up the filming locations here because it's such a beautiful film. I want to kind of like take note of that. So I'm going to try and uh, not butcher the pronunciations of these, but you know how it goes. <laughs> Might pull a Terrence on this one. Um, we have a full um, list here. I believe we have about 
I think I have written down 24 different locations here that I didn't cross out or anything. And we got Lake Sherwood, California in the U.S. of A. Monument Valley in Arizona. Mexican Water, also in Arizona. Um, Tisigi Canyon in the Navajo Nation in Arizona. Then we have Vermilion Cliffs in the Vermilion Cliffs National Monument in Arizona. Um, Basvispi Sonora in Mexico. Sierra de la Ajo in Basvis <laughs> Sonora, Mexico. Sierra Madre Occidental in Sonora, Mexico. Sierra de la Tigre in, Son in <laughs> Sonora, Mexico. Then we also have the 20th Century Fox Ranch in Malibu Creek State Creek Park. And we also have Chama, New Mexico. Um, Cur okay, trying to Curvanavica in Morales, Mexico. And that was for the Bolivia scenes. Then we have uh, Denver and Rio Grande Western Railroad in Durango, Colorado. Then we have the Durango and Silverton Narrow Gauge Railroad in Colorado. Then we have Grafton, Utah. Las Eminas River Gorge in Durango, Colorado. San Juan National Forest in Colorado. Silverton, Colorado. Snow Canyon, Utah. And St. George, Utah. Taos, New Mexico. Taxco Guerrero, Mexico. Trimble Bridge, Animus River in Colorado, USA. And, of course, Zion National Park for a lot of landscape shots. That is the filming locations of Butch Cassidy. Then, finally, my Golden Boy section, the section I'm best known for, the section I never get wrong in any respect. We have the cast for Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. We, of course, have the legendary Paul Newman playing Butch Cassidy. Of course, Paul Newman's known for such films as Cool Hand Luke in 1967, The Hustler in 1961, The Color of Money, The Road to Perdition in 2002, and Winning in 1969. Then, of course, we have his co-lead, Robert Redford, playing the Sundance Kid. Robert Redford, also a legendary actor on his own right. Um, he was such films as Indecent Proposal in 1993, The Sting in 1973, one of my favorite films, Jeremiah Johnson in 1972. And the last film he's ever been in it was uh, Avengers Endgame in last in 2019. That's the last role before he retired. And what was he in that? Uh, he was the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, from Captain America and the Winter Soldier. I forget his name. I forget the character's actual name, but I know he was the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. Above Sam Jackson's um, Nick Fury. Yeah. Then next up, we have the uh, the actress, the actress lead, uh, Catherine Ross, playing Etta Place. She was in such films as The Graduate in 1967, the original The Stepford Wise in 1975, The Final Countdown in 1980, and she was also in Shenandoah in 1965. I believe she played one of the daughters. Hmm. I can't remember her name off the top of my head. Great movie. We yeah. covered. Yeah. Next up, we have Ted Cassidy playing Harvey Logan. Um, Ted Cassidy is best known for playing Lurch in the original Adams Family television series all the way back in 1964. Mm -hmm. And Pops second best known for um, playing the narrator in the original Incredible Hulk show from 1977 to 1982. There might not be a sadder intro to a TV show than <laughs> watching him walk down there with the... Oh, know, yeah, just just Indian pointing Indian out, yeah. driving down the road, yeah. <laughs> You know, uh, yeah, so it's, 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 funnily enough, neither Jimbo or I knew that before we actually looked up here in the cast about Ted Cassidy doing the original um, Incredible Hulk show. We knew he was Lurch immediately, but Incredible Hulk was a surprise. So, you know, uh, you know, has a powerful presence in the original Alice family, but also a good voice, too. Yeah. Next up, we have Struther Martin playing Percy Garris. Um, he was on films such as True Grit in 1969, Rooster Cogburn in 1975, Hard Terms, Hard Times, also in 1975. 
Pocket Money in 1972, and The Villain in 1979. Next up, we have Jeff Corey playing Sheriff Bledsoe. Uh, Bledsoe. Bledsoe, not Bledsoe. Um, he was also in True Grit in 1969, Catlow in 1971, Lady in a Cage in 1964, Little Big Man in 1970, and Surviving the Game in 1994. Next up, we have Cloris Leachman playing Agnes. She was in such films as The Last Picture Show in 1971, Young Frankenstein in 1974, Frau Booker, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and The Beverly Hillbillies in 1993. And lastly, here I have written down was George Firth playing Woodcock. He was in such films such as Megaforce in 1982, Gore Vidal's Myra Breckenridge in 1970, and the legendary Blazing Saddles in 1974. And that is the cast of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. All right, Kyle. So give us a quick synopsis. A quick synopsis uh, is a story of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid in their original gang of the Wild Bunch, renamed the Hole in the Wall um, gang in this movie. And they're essentially their um, they're kind of late escapades, um, eventual death. Um, basically kind of traumatizing the last um, few years of their lives. Uh, right. so. Because they were being chased by law, they had to get yeah, out of they the finally, country. They, finally, they, they, they had robbed one too many trains and had to go on the run, and they actually go to Bolivia, start new lives, things don't really work out, and they continue to run into a uh, life back of crime until they eventually, they've gone too far and there's nowhere to run to. Right. There's only a final gun show to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, as I've stated before in previous episodes of this podcast, I am not a big Western fan. I don't like Western movies all that much. Um, But the chemistry between Robert Redford and Paul Newman in this movie is absolutely fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, They just played off of each other so well. The jokes they told, uh, just their on-screen time together, um, their back-and-forth banter. It's just great, fantastic. They deserve every award they won. Yeah, they have amazing chemistry in this film, and it feels very modern because of that. Right, and I also like um, when you start this film, the way that they shot this um, using like the grainy, it's almost like a tan lens or something over Mm -hmm. it. It gave you that old Western time feel, you know, and then it eventually comes back to a more normal screen. Then also at the end of the movie, where they come running out of the, the thing, surrounded by the Mexican army, when they thought there was only two people out there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it goes, it does that still shot. And then from that still shot, it goes back to that tan color, and then it fades back. And it's just, it's just beautifully shot. And also the musical score is really good, too. Yeah, this movie is firing all cylinders in every right. respect. And yeah, it, uh, so before we talk about some of my favorite scenes and stuff like that, or moments of the movie, let's go ahead and get through some of the notes. So... Uh, Paul Newman actually has a charity for children with serious medical conditions, and it was named the Hole in the Wall Camp after Butch's gang. So, uh, nice to see him doing something with charity. It's good, no, good to hear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On the first day of shooting, uh, involving the train robbery scene, so that was the first one they were doing, Catherine Ross came to set to watch. You know, she wanted to check out her other co-stars, right? Yeah. Uh, there were five cameras, but there was only four camera operators. So, cinematographer Conrail Hall put her on the extra camera. He showed her how to operate it and how to move it uh, to get her shot. Director George Roy Hill was furious, but he said nothing the whole day. At the end of the day, however, he banned her from the set except for when she was working. Oh, wow. I don't understand that. Because... 
you were down a camera man, you wouldn't let a camera woman <laughs> shoot it? I don't know if maybe it's some form of pettiness, or maybe it's some other thing where, like, I don't know. Or maybe maybe if you mess this up because you're not trained, that's going to cost us a lot of money for the film that, that he was supposed yeah, to shoot. Something like that, where, like, he doesn't trust her because she's not a certified cameraman, or also, like, it's one of those things, like, technically she's not working with, like, whatever union they have going on for the for production crew. So, like, if they found out, that could be a huge fine or something like that. They could be stuff like that. Yeah, but still, yeah, that, that seems incredibly just, like, she volunteered to help and they let her help. You can calm down, you big baby. <laughs> yeah, so from then on out, um, I don't think anybody really liked the director. So, uh, Catherine Ross said... Uh, the best scenes that she liked to shoot uh, that was the bicycle riding sequence, which was funny. Yeah. Um, because it was handled by the film's crew's second unit rather than the director. She said, any day away from George Roy Hill was a good one. <laughs> so I was like, wow. Uh, it's also amazing this film came out as good as it did. Because what a way to get everyone on your bad side. That, like, I'm going to get, I'm going to blow up on, like, the, <laughs> on, like, the most beautiful lead actress in this whole film. <laughs> and you just yell at her and make her feel bad. And it's like, everyone's not going to, no one's going to side with you on this. Right. Even if you were right, no one's going to side you with you on this. Um, another Catherine nice uh, another thing on George Hill, uh, uh, Paul Newman uh, sawed Hill's desk in half because he wouldn't pay his bill for liquor, which he borrowed from my office. <laughs> so he sawed the dude's desk in half. That's fantastic. Yeah. In order to get the shot of the super posse jumping out of the train on the horses, the door on the opposite side of the train car was left open and a ramp placed out of view on that side of the train. So in real life, you know, the horses looked like they kept just falling out of the train when they were actually running through the other side. That's so. good. Mm-hmm. The real Butch Cassidy, whose name was actually Robert Leroy Parker, got his nickname because he once worked in a butcher shop. The Sundance Kid's real name, who was Harry, or sorry, Harry Alonzo Longabaugh, got his nickname because he was once arrested in the Wyoming town of Sundance. So, (laughs) so Kyle, what would your nickname be? Like, they would call me Austin because I live in Austin, I guess. How about, how about oh. Denny the Kid? Because that's where we have breakfast you know, before fat we face. <laughs> fat face and the Denny Kid. Fat face and the Denny Skid, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, write that to him down for future note. <laughs> Lulu Parker Bettison. Bettison. See, it's hard, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, sister of the real-life Butch Cassidy often visited the set, and her presence was welcomed by the cast and crew. During, you know, downtime and shooting, she would tell stories about her famous brother's escapades and was amazed at how accurately the script and Paul Newman portrayed him. Before they were going to release this film, the studio wanted her to go out and do several promotional things and endorse this movie and ads and theaters and all that across the country. She said that she would, but she wanted to preview the movie first just so she could say, uh, I stand behind this film 100% as it's shot. Yeah. The studio refused, of course, saying that allowing her to see the film before its release could harm its reputation. I don't know how, unless she unless she spoke badly against it. Yeah. Uh, finally, at Robert Redford's suggestion, she agreed to do the endorsements for a small fee, of course. <laughs> I, I, I understand the studio's kind of placing on that kind of thing, too. Because, like, 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 the studio always wants to believe it's going to be the best film ever. 
but then you don't know how she'll react to it. So if she saw that film, you know, before early and she absolutely hated it, you don't want her to go in the reverse end of the scene and then start saying, like, this movie is terrible. It misrepresents my family. I hate this movie. Don't go see it. The studio would be in a panic if that happened. So, like, right. in the abundance of caution, they're like, no, we won't show you the film early in case you won't like it. We want you to promote it before you see it. <laughs> Which I get, but also I understand her position, too. Like, I'm not going to do that without, you know, y'all can be paid first. <laughs> so, right. you know. Um... Robert Redford wanted to do all of his own stunts. Paul Newman was especially upset about Redford's desire to jump onto the train roof and run along the tops of the cars as it moved along. Redford told Newman, uh, I don't want any heroics around here. I don't want to lose a co-star. So, I mean, I can see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, sounds like a lot of fun, though. Paul Newman <laughs> did his own bicycle stunts, however, uh, and it's, uh, after a stuntman was unable to stay on the bikes. <laughs> Stop, man, that can't stay on the bike. Mm-hmm. And Paul Newman said, no, worry, I got it. Uh, the only one he didn't do was a scene where Butch crashes backwards into the fence, which was performed by cinematographer Conrad L. Hall. <laughs> All the Bolivia scenes were filmed in Mexico, where almost the entire cast and crew and director George Roy Hill came down with Montezuma's Revenge. And for those of you that doesn't know what Montezuma's Revenge is, uh, Kyle, would you like to tell them what it is? Montezuma's Revenge. I know exactly what that is, Jimbo, because I'm a historian of all diseases. Um, I'm going to guess it's something that um, gets. Um, I'm going to guess something that itches or involves, <laughs> um, you know, um, you know, uh, chemicals coming out of you, possibly. So Kyle, something you don't know what it is. Pus, my imagination involves. So you don't know what Montezuma's Revenge. You've never that, heard like, of Montezuma's Revenge. I've never. I have no idea you were talking about, Jimbo. It is. Severe diarrhea. Severe diarrhea. Which is caused by drinking Mexico's notoriously, uh, notoriously polluted water. Oh, okay. Only Robert Redford, Paul Newman, and Catherine Ross were spared because they stunk to drinking alcohol and soda uh, that was catered to the set. They disinfected all the water they drank with vodka. It was not worth They shrink me as a, as a whiskey kind of people. <laughs> uh, the most commonly used name for Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kids gang was the Wild Bunch, which Kyle alluded to earlier. The Wild Bunch was a 1969 film that was released a few months earlier than this film. The name of the gang was changed to the Hole in the Wall Gang to avoid confusion with uh, Peck and Paw's films. So, uh, this is also, which I don't believe you had this in your cast, uh, the film debut of Sam Elliott, hmm. but not the frontal shots. He went on to marry his co-star Catherine Ross in 1984. I didn't. I I I, I knew Sam Elliott and Catherine Ross got together, but I did not know. That he was in this film. I didn't see that in my notes. No, I did not. I missed out. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, not a real film. Though. There's a famous scene here where there's a bull. Um, the bull's name in this film is actually Bill. He was flown in from Los Angeles for the bicycle scene, which was shot in Utah. In order to make Bill charge, the filmmaker sprayed a substance on his testicles. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> So yeah, I wonder okay. if the bull got Montezuma's revenge, too. Montezuma's so, revenge. In his but own way, certainly. Oddly, <laughs> the bull did not seem to mind, and it dirted through several takes, which was uh, seen from the making of the Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid in 1970. So. Uh, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you ever seen a rodeo, what they do to them to get oh, the bucket? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Everything. So I, I, I would I, much I, rather I, them spray something on there than have them pinch something on there. <laughs> Uh, here's another one, Kyle. I bet you didn't know this. Thurl Ravenscroft. Do you know who that is? No, I do not. You will once I tell you. He's the voice behind Tony the Tiger. Oh. And the singer of You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch. 
lent his voice to the bank robbing montage song. He is the incredibly low voice that is heard throughout the song. That is incredible. He has, no, has range. That's great. That's great. That's right. Uh, William Goldman came uh, first. Brief sec. When you said Tony the Tiger, my first thought was I was thinking of Tigger immediately from Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> Still, either way, great roles. Oh, boy. See, Not the serial mascot. This is the age difference that we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, he gave it away. The they're great. The, he was like, "Oh, it's not." It's William Goldman first came across the story of Butch Cassidy in the late 1950s and researched it on his own and on and off for over eight years before sitting down to write the screenplay. So, I mean, yeah. I guess that's why. I guess that's why. So much of it is so accurate. Well, his sister dad. wouldn't mind because mm-hmm. uh, he did his research. Yeah, he clearly had experience of like going through this entire show in depth to find out everything he needed to know. Accor- really impressive. Yeah. According to George Roy Hill's own documentary on the filming of this movie, stuntman Jimmy Arnett fractured his pelvis in the final shootout sequence after falling from the arch. He fell onto a stack of cardboard boxes, mm-hmm. but there was too few to break his fall into the cobblestone below. He fractured his pelvis and was unable to work for three months. He was also Paul Newman's stunt double in other scenes. So that's that's, that's it's like breaking a rib or something like that. Like your pelvis is even worse. It's like you just you can't do anything. You just you just gotta sit and wait. <laughs> There's nothing you could do. You can't put in a sling and walk around. You just you just you're just there. That's it. That's your life now. Uh, As a possible nod to a scene in The Treasure of Sierra Madre from 1948. Both, also an excellent film. Both Sorry. the mule in that film and the horse in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid bear the same brand on their hindquarters. Oh, wow. So a little little shout-out to the treasures here or Madre. Yeah. We had to cover that move. I don't think we have. We had to cover that one sometime. <laughs> um, let's see here. Uh, fans of Ted Cassidy's characters, uh, he played in Star Trek and Adam's Family, might not have recognized him without makeup here. But his voice was unmistakable. In fact, Ted Cassidy was a personable character, character and devoted husband and father off the screen. Uh, yeah, Cloris Leachman, as you said, she played a prostitute in this movie, mm-hmm. which I don't even remember her, so. Uh, <laughs> she was there. <laughs> the body count for this movie is 30. 30. Uh, 30. That you wow. see. Yeah. yeah. Or if that counts every single soldier they shot in the last gunfight, I imagine... <laughs> Did they even kill any though? That's the thing. Where I was like, I don't know how many of those were kill shots. I don't know if actually got tallied in the final body count itself. You know, so it's like you're like, yeah, they went down, but like we also like there was weren't like a lot of those looked like shoulder shots or stomach shots. Right. Like, you could have died later on, but you weren't dead immediately. <laughs> well, you know that the uh, the uh, people that came to rob, remember they were taking the the money with their new boss because they were getting. Uh, Held oh, yeah. up, mm-hmm. and they killed that guy for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. Uh, though Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid were reportedly killed in San Vicente, Bolivia, on November 7, 1908, the location of their grave has been lost. This has resulted in a long lived conspiracy theory that their deaths were faked, or that two other men were killed and misidentified as them. Until the 1930s, several eyewitnesses claimed reported encountering one or both of the men, yet the chronology, uh, chronology and geography of their claims are often mutually exclusive. A handwriting expert had claimed that Spokane auto mechanic William T. Phillips, who died in 1937, wrote in Cassidy's hand, 
Yet other historians insist that Phillips and Cassian known whereabouts on a certain date marked them as separate individuals. So are they still alive or are they dead? Uh, well, they're dead now. Yeah, pretty, yeah, they're, they're I'm pretty sure it doesn't they're, matter. They're now. certainly dead now. But it's yes. fun to think, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I would, if I were thinking about that debate, I would think like, if their death were faked, I just don't think they would. By the depiction of this film, they aren't people that lay low enough to ever not be noticed eventually. Like that would have been discovered before if that was the truth. That right. was the case. So you know, um, another famous person who they think may have faked his death or, or they got the wrong man was John Dillinger. Yeah, and I highly suggest anybody listening to this podcast uh, go to your uh, podcast player, download Mysterious Circumstances hosted by Justin Rimmel, and look up his John Dillinger episodes because they are fantastic. Uh, he does his research re- really well, and hes I would call him an aficionado on it, the subject, but uh, really mm-hmm. well. So check out Justin in the Mysterious yeah. Circumstances. I, I would also just... I would preface personally, like, like although I think that's a lot of fun and they can be true, that's definitely... I think that's a fun thing to explore. You know, it's... you know. Trying to treat it as like the definitive truth, like oh, the conspiracy is always real because like yes, there's gaps right. in knowledge we always have because there's always these gaps. Well, in it's knowledge. also like the people but, that escaped from uh, the Rock. Yeah, Alcatraz, who escaped from you the know, rock, did they or, actually escape? Well, there's some evidence they did, some evidence that they died. You yeah, know, you don't or, know. Uh, not not John Wilkes Booth. I'm thinking of the 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 uh, the the, high, the the plane robbery. Oh, uh, uh, F. Uh, FB, uh, yeah, somebody, yeah, yeah. Cooper, yeah. DB yeah, Cooper, DB Cooper. Yeah. That's right, DB Cooper, somebody like that is like there's there's always gonna be gaps in knowledge about that, you know. Doesn't doesn't mean like it's fun to explore that, and I encourage anyone to, to explore that kind of stuff, but don't go believing it too much. <laughs> it's fun, but also. Eh. So Kyle, what is uh, a couple of your favorite scenes in this movie? Uh, my favorite scene actually probably is um, near the very beginning, the um, the fight scene when um, I forget I didn't remember the character's name, but um, the other tall gentleman tries like I'm taking over the gang now, and they agree to have a fight. It's like hold on now, let's discuss some rules. It's like there are no rules. Like oh, okay, and she kicks in the nuts. Well, somebody let's get it started. One, three, two, five. <laughs> he punches him in the face. Yeah, absolutely. That was funny. I wrote that hilarious. Down too. Um, another one I thought was pretty funny is when they're uh, so. The lady in this movie, the the co-star, she is uh, Sundance Kid's girlfriend. Yeah. So I thought it was funny where she's making them learn Spanish because they're going down to Bolivia, right? Because uh, they were going to go hold up a bank, but none of them spoke English in there. So they was like, uh, so they backed out. <laughs> so she's teaching Spanish, and, and, and uh, she's in the room with Sundance Kid, and uh, across the wall, she's she's testing Sundance Kid. And so she knocks on the wall and she says, well, what about you, Butch? And so she gives him the, the phrase to say. And he's like, well, let me see. And he, he takes out a cheat sheet from his pocket, yep. opens it up and reads it. She's like, oh, that's really good. And then when they go to hold up the bank later on, he has to pull out the note and, and read. Absolutely Drop incredible. your guts against the wall. They're already against the wall. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, They're already done. He's, he's like, well, then you read it. So frustrated with him. Oh, my um, gosh. Another... F- uh, one of the most breathtaking scenes, but also funny, is the cliff jump. Because they get over there, they're being chased by the um, army. Yeah. And <laughs> well, the, the bounty hunting crew, right, right, right. basically. Yeah. So uh, he says, oh, Well, we're going to jump. And he's like, We'll die if we jump. He's like, Well, we're going to die if we stay here. So he's like, Well, he's like, I think it was, was a Sundance kid that says, 
He can't swim. I can't swim. Yeah. <laughs> or was it Paul Newman? I can't remember. Which he starts like, give Sundance Kid. Yeah. And yeah like, Paul Newman like, starts laughing at him immediately. He's just he's like, like kidding me. I can't, I can't swim. He's like, you got to be kidding me. Which I thought was funny because later on in the film, I think that might be whether uh, at the at the uh, at the very last scene where they're in there, and he tells him, he says. I've never shot a man before. Yeah, the the Mexican bandits who tried to rob him. Yeah, and they come like, like just so you know, I never killed a man. Yeah, it's a hell of a time to tell me. <laughs> I was like, wow. Uh, so I, I thought that, there's a lot of comical stuff in this, uh, just because they play off of each other pretty good. A lot of really impressive banter that, like, a lot of modern films try to replicate today and do hard. And it's very difficult to do. And um, and. So when they get them cornered in that little <laughs> town or whatever, and they're in the building, they're out of ammo. They had to run and grab some ammo off the mule. The horses are gone. Well, the horses are still there because it's like we just got to make it to horses. Then we'll we'll go to Australia. Australia, yeah. He's like, yeah, we'll go to Australia. So because the whole thing was them to get into Bolivia, and they get to Bolivia, and there's nothing but dirt and chickens running around on the ground. And Sundance <laughs> kids like, is this what you wanted, Bolivia, whatever? So they're sitting in there and. Um, the one guy takes off and he goes and gets, I think, the entire Mexican army or something because uh, hundreds of these yeah. guys show up. The entire Bolivian military. So the force. entire time, them two think that there's only like two to four guys outside or something. He's like, Can you take the two on the left? You know, I take the two on the right, whatever. You know what I mean? And I, they, they do their last hurrah. Mm-hmm. And I think they might have known that they were in trouble, but I think they were playing it off like. We're going down one way or the other. So. That's what I kind of think, too, because th- those two have both been shot at least once at that point during that scene, so they're both injured. And, and they're clearly, tending each other's wounds. Yeah, tending like, each other's wounds. So like, they both know uh, like they're in a bad state right now. Especially Paul Newman, because he's like, he's bandaging his hand, he's shooting yeah. hand, you know what I mean? <laughs> but then when they, they they run out of there and just guns a blame, you know, you hear, like, you hear them fire like maybe, maybe two shots each, and then you just hear the... Then it stops, and then you hear again. I was like, "Oh well, the wall of lead." You know, it was just yeah straight. So, Kyle, what do you think of this movie? Do you think people should watch it? Absolutely, I think this is probably one of the best westerns out there. Honestly, it's 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 thoroughly impressive, entertaining, great production value, amazing shots, cinematography, all those things. Like anything you want to see good in a film, it has it in spades. Honestly, so it's an excellent film. And there's nothing really bad to say about it. It really, really isn't. Nothing to really bring it down at all. It's kind of one of those things. Like yeah, I could only want more of it. Honestly. Uh, but at the same time, it's such a it's such a good tight little package that I, I love the way it is, and uh, maybe couldn't ask for more in that case. Uh, but no, I think it was an excellent film, absolutely worth watching, especially if you're a Western fan. It's kind of like a must see, and uh, it's always going to be entertaining to watch, no matter who you are. Um, so yeah, I think it's an excellent film. Jimbo, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I really like the way it was shot, and I like like the different montages they did, like where he's riding the bicycle montage. That was good, but when they did the bank robbery montage, where um, and something about that is where they go into the one bank um, and the, the teller just goes around and opens the thing and they go down to the vault, remember? Yeah. And she hands him, uh, well, they get in there and he opens the safe and she pulls that gun out and hands it to Sundance. And then he holds the guy up and they shut the door and he gives it back to her or whatever. They, they say that that might actually be a real bank robbery, like a real fake bank robbery, uh-huh. if you will. Like the guy looked disbelieved and stunned because... It really happened. Yeah. Which is hilarious to think about. 
But uh, just the whole the whole musical thing where they're doing that, I think that was great. Um, Paul Newman and Robert Redford together was just. I mean, it's like Batman and Robin. They were perfect together. You know what I mean? Like, funnily enough, one of the films that came to mind was like actually a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood of like Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt. I almost got the same vibe of them of just like two actors on like the top of their game in one movie together and like having that kind of like, and they both have like almost this kind of like not masculine they have like a male ideal role to them as well like paul newman and robert redford are both like they're men there's they're they're guy guys they're they're men's men and same thing with like once upon a time in hollywood they had a similar vibe i got from them. they're like these are like two like two of the best male lean actors in the world in one movie together and you don't really know how to appreciate it until after it's already come out right um so absolutely incredible yeah so definitely give this one a watch um it was it was my first time watching it, and I and this is the reason we do the podcast because there was a the top one hundred movies that I have not seen a lot of, and this was one that I wish I would have watched sooner. Even though I'm not a Western fan, it just made me appreciate a lot of stuff about the whole filming industry while watching this movie. So I would say all kind of films it falls in the kind of the, um, the Goldilocks area. Like it's a film I wouldn't mind seeing again sometime. You know, it has that kind of like level of just like after you've seen it once, you can kind of like you can almost like play it like a radio show at a certain point where like you can kind of leave and come back to it and you know right. what's really going on because you have the basic idea of the story and so it has that almost kind of thing like um, the movie kind of like, like earlier like Gremlins and other kind of movies like that kind of has that same range where it's like I can just have that on and enjoy it anytime I look at it just because I know there's a great scene always on screen um, so yeah it's an excellent movie in that I kind of write too right mm-hmm. so there you have it um, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid which is uh, round number 50 on the AFI's top 100 so um, check it out if you haven't. Um, don't forget our live show coming up with Hillbilly Horror Stories and uh, Middle Aged and Creeped Out uh, coming to Indianapolis. Um, you can find information on our website, but if you want tickets, either go to Eventbrite and search up Hillbilly Horror Stories or go to the hillbillyhorrorstories.com and go under tickets. Uh, we'd love you to come see me and fat face in person <laughs> yeah it'll be a, it'll be a fun time if sure. i could get kyle to dress up in the whole scream outfit i'll see what i can find i'll see what i can find that, that's that's worthwhile so not, not a hard costume to get either <laughs> yeah. it's know. just gotta get that it's, yeah it's about getting the 4xl mask <laughs> that's the tough part you know maybe i should go like get a get like a blow dryer and just kind of warm it no, up no, and just, stretch it out just get the regular suit but get like one of those masks and then just put like you know those ones i walk around with the air hose in it yeah, it yeah. just blows it up i just put a white plate around it you know just like i cut out a paper plate and i put that around my whole face <laughs> It's <laughs> not the, the ghost mask. You're just gonna have a paper plate on your face with the eye holes out. Eye holes cut out. <laughs> with the rubber band around rubber the band side. Around. Yeah, yeah. The worse we get, the better it is. That's 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 the that's the tragedy of cinema podcast motto. Does he kill with the 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 scimitar? No, he kills with a fork and spoon. <laughs> kills with a spatula. <laughs> <laughs> okay alright well, right. well I think we're good derailed so uh, I think this episode's coming to a close and that's a wrap and cut